Welcome to another episode of The Art of Giving a Damn. Today, my guest is Todd Palmer from Extraordinary Advisors. Todd, thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank, thank you for giving a damn enough to have me on. <laughs> I appreciate that. So you are a collaborative business advisor. Let's start there. What does that mean? Well, you know, so I, I currently still own the business I started in 1997, mm-hmm. Diversified Industrial Staffing as well as I own another business, Extraordinary mm-hmm. Advisors, where I work with companies and CEOs to help them either scale up or possibly turn the business around, but really get to where they want to go. And I'm collaborative with both companies. It's just my style. Uh, a lot of coaches will, will just do quarterly meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly do quarterly meetings with, co- with my clients, but I also do twice-a-month calls with mm-hmm. and CEOs and leadership teams because I think that it's important to have a coach that's going to walk the path with you. Um, I hired my first coach in 2006 for, wow. for Diversified, and I still have a coach uh, today. So I like those relationships that are, where, where someone's investing in me, mm-hmm. and I think it's important for me to invest in the people that I work with. Yeah, I totally agree, and that really goes along with what you uh, had sent me over as some notes, which is what you really do is help business leaders get shit done. <laughs> that's, that's the goal, yeah. That's, the goal. that's something that requires a little more than a quarterly check-in. It, it does. It's and it's interesting because a lot of a lot of uh, CEOs and mm-hmm. companies will contact me and will engage in conversations. And I find that you know the uh, the CEO or the leadership team doesn't really want to get shit done. They they would mm-hmm. prefer that I come in and get the shit done for them. And <laughs> what we do, it's it's really interesting. Someone asked mm-hmm. me, um, how do you how do you choose your clients? Mm-hmm. For me, it's really important to work with people who who are lifelong learners, people who yeah. want to accomplish more, do more, and recognize that in order to do that, you've got to fail forward to become successful. Yeah, you know, I saw an image you posted on Twitter the other day, and for our listeners, there will be a link in the show notes right below the video wherever you're watching or listening to connect with Todd on Twitter, but you posted this little image about how successful business owners and entrepreneurs use failure kind of as a stepping stone to build their way to success, and that is Sometimes a really tough mindset to keep, but it's so key. It is. And it's one of the things that I really suffered with as a younger entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went through a period in, in, my, in my professional life where I had imposter syndrome. And I thought that, mm-hmm. that if the company was, a fa- was failing, if the company was not doing well, I was a fix. And yeah. if I didn't have all the answers, then the issue was me, not maybe marketplace or other things. And what mm-hmm. that did is it created a situation where I'd isolate myself. Yeah. And isolation and becomes an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. So all mm-hmm. those negatives upon negatives upon negatives really did not serve me well. And so I've learned that, you know, uh, a great friend of mine, Danny Friedland, he's um, one of the world's leading, leading coaches and neuroscientists. And he talks about how failure doesn't exist. Hmm. Because failure is nothing more than the stepping stones of learning, and the only way to become successful is to learn forward. And he has a whole way of coming uh. up of that. And it's it's something that has really served me well, and I work with a lot of people on that because I think, you know, whether we're, we're entrepreneurs or even if we're parents or we're in relationships, you know, so much is seen as win-lose, success-fail. That's true. And people will argue, you know, people will argue to be right as compared hmm. to success. And it's just the, all, the, uh, the society we live in. And I remember as a parent even you know, talking to my son about his report card. Like, you know, four A's and one B. And you know, the, the, the inadequate father sometimes I would be is we'd only talk about the one B, not the four A's. Yeah. And it's in there. so so prevalent in our society. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, we only talk, you know, we set people up to fail in media. Mm. We have celebrities or, or athletes or whomever, and mm. we, we love to build them up just to tear them down. And at the end of yeah. the day, not, not a real productive way to, to live, you know, enjoy our time here on the planet. Yeah, you know, that's such a great point. One of the things that I see a lot with other entrepreneurs and even with myself sometimes, the way we speak to ourselves about success and failure, we say things we would never say to someone else. We would never judge them as harshly as we judge ourselves. It's, it's God, that's a great point. I uh, had a professor in college one time. She called it shooting all over yourself. You know, I should do this, I should do that. And that just yeah. that creates a certain sense of paralysis. Yeah. That if, you know, it, the people who seem to have kind of gotten it right from what I can see are the companies that are in the tech space. Mm. They, you know, Bill Gates has, has no problem saying, I'm going to release a software that's only 80% of the way done. The, the other 20% will come from the marketplace and they'll tell me what needs to be fixed. So that's why we're getting new updates on our softwares, new updates on our iPhones or what yeah. have you. And, and they know that iterative behaviors and that failing forward is the only way to learn what doesn't work. Yet we don't have that same sense of, of, of kindness to ourselves. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes it's hard when you're an entrepreneur and you are the business. So you're a coach, you're a consultant, you don't have a product you can point at. It's hard to separate yourself from it and see it as kind of its own thing just because, like you said, it's failing at the moment by some measurement we want to put on it doesn't mean that you're a failure in any way. Um, that's, that's really a great point. So for anybody who's listening and thinking, yeah, I have that shutting all over myself thing going on, what's one or two things that somebody can do to, to work on that mindset and really change the way they look at what they should do or what failure is? Well, you know, what I had to, to do back in 2006 when I hired my first coach was to remember that there are, there's me as the entrepreneur. They're the employees that, that work for the company, and I was one mm-hmm. of those as well. But also there's the business, and it's a separate entity. Mm-hmm. And it's like a child. Yeah. It, it needs tender, loving care. It needs certain things. And it's the responsibility of the owners and the, and the founders and the entrepreneurs to give that to them. And sometimes it requires mm-hmm. making difficult decisions. So in 2006, my business was not doing well. We were about nine years old. We were 60, 60 days away from running out of cash, $600,000 in debt, and we had a dysfunctional company culture that was just mm. not producing the results that the business needed. And the business needed cash, and business didn't have cash. Now, I personally guaranteed that $600,000 to the bank, and uh, I unfortunately had to make a very tough decision to let my ent- fire my entire company in one day and start over. Wow. Because that's what the entity needed. And that certainly impacted employees. But at the end of the day, um, as the entrepreneur, it was my responsibility to pick the right people to be on the team. And I didn't. Mm. It was my responsibility to hold them accountable. I didn't do a very good job of that. So ultimately what I had to do is recognize and know myself, know my strengths, my weaknesses, try to play to my strengths, minimize my weaknesses. And going forward, Pick people, you know, we we used to hire people who just worked in the recruiting space. Mm -hmm. Well, then we changed our our model to hire people who are really good people. So we hired for Mm -hmm. DNA, not for resume. And that made a shift in the organization. And it really, for me, it was to recall that just because the the company was struggling, as long as I was getting up every day and trying to improve the company 1% Mm -hmm. a week, if you you improve your company 1% a week for 52 weeks, you've made a pretty sizable shift. Yeah, that's a massive improvement. And my coach would tell me there is no silver bullet. You know, mm-hmm. it, it took you 
nine years to get into this hole. It's going to take you a while to dig out of it and and remember that. Mm. So you, you mentioned the phrase hire for DNA, not resume. What does that look like in practical terms? If I'm looking to bring somebody on in my company, where, where do you start with that? Well, I I think you first of all have to know who your culture is. Who Mm -hmm. are you as the entrepreneur? Who who are currently on your team? Start from there because again, every every company is its own ecosystem, Mm -hmm. and and it's not. You know, my company may not be a good fit for you. Your company may not be a good fit for me, or it might be a great fit. But how do we know that? So first of all, with our company, diversified industrial staffing, we measured out you know who we were and who we were not. And we would create interview questions that would flesh that out. Um, we decided that the best people to hire the, the, their coworkers were the people who were doing the job. So we created a kind of an American Idol interview round where the, the huh. candidates would meet with three of their peers. And the peers would vote on who they wanted on their team. Because I found that I liked everybody, and I would give everybody a chance. And that wasn't necessarily the best way to do things. Um, so we got people who were involved doing the, the feet on the street work. And they ultimately have the final decision. So a lot of times as, as a coach, I have to work with entrepreneurs to, to remove bottlenecks mm-hmm. within the organization. Yeah. If you take a look at a bottle, the neck of the bottle is typically at the top. Yeah. <laughs> so very, I, I very just, true. And I just, I'm like, hey, listen, I had to get out of the way of some of our yeah. processes as well because I was the person creating the bottleneck and, and limiting yeah. our success. Yeah, and it's so easy to do when you care about your company and you care about the end product you use up sometimes as an excuse to be the bottleneck when if you build your company the right way and bring in the right people, then you can trust them to generally do the right thing when they know your values. Well, and that's it's a great point because what we do is we actually we post our, our values on our website. We, we talk about how we make decisions in mm-hmm. our company to – that go to those values. And at the end of the day, we've made decisions that go to the values that actually cost us money in the short term. But we know in a long-term situation, it's, it's not going to work well for us. For example, Mm -hmm. we've happened this week of all, and the timing is great for the question. We had a a, a candidate who did very poorly on his first interview, Mm -hmm. but the client was so desperate to hire in a country now where where we're full employment, they were going to bring him back in for a second interview. We knew what the deficiencies were in his answers. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the most recruiting firms would call that candidate, you know, coach him or her up to mm-hmm. hear the questions they're going to ask. Here's the answers you should give yeah. in order to get the job. But right. his answers were so much from a values based thought process mm-hmm. that we didn't want to seed him to be to get the job if it doesn't really fit who he is. So what we did is we called the client and said, hey, "We understand you're bringing Bob back in for a second interview." Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to coach him up so you can really meet that authentic candidate because mm-hmm. he's going to be. This person's going to be in a management position. He's going to be mm-hmm. having subordinates reporting to him, and if he's got biases or tendencies, we want you to bring those out in the interview. Yeah. We can coach them through them, but all it's going to be is window dressing. And the right. last thing we'll do is, is you know, stage somebody with a falsehood to have them wear a mask to the interview just to get the job for you to be unhappy in six months knowing full well that maybe they weren't a good cultural fit for your company. So we gave the client some questions to ask the candidate in the interview, mm-hmm. but they could get to the best decision that's a mutual benefit, not only for the right. candidate, but for the business. So if we take care of the candidate and the business, then as a recruiting company, we can sleep at night knowing that we've done the yeah. right thing as compared to we want to, we want to get the, the fee for the placement, so right. we're going to coach up the candidate, stage him as a falsehood mm-hmm. just, to, just to cash the check. That's, 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 that's short-term 
short-term nonsense. Very much so. Long-term, that doesn't lead to a great reputation for the business. It does not. Yeah. Uh, so you've got a couple of different companies you run. What led you from the staffing company into starting Extraordinary Advisors? You know, the, the thing that I really enjoyed about working at Diversified Industrial was building the leadership team out. Mm-hmm. And I saw a quote, I think it might have been Richard Branson, but I'm not exactly sure, where he talked about great leaders are only great leaders if they build out the next generation of mm-hmm. great leaders. And we had done that at Diversified. We were doing well with that. We had done, you know, the company was doing great. We made, I think, 5,000, six times. Yeah. We were getting invited, you know, we'd get invited to these cool events. And well, and that's fantastic from where you went at one point to firing oh, yeah. your company, the entire company, to Inc. 5,000 six times. That's yeah. amazing. And so people would want to hear the story, yeah. and then people would come up to you after the, the program and say, hey, would you potentially consider working with us? Mm-hmm. We like what you're doing. And so it just kind of was a natural evolution. And the way we did things at Diversified is I built out the leadership team, picked, mm-hmm. picked people into positions where I'm not needed every day. Yeah. So the company – it had its best year in 2017, and I was only in the office about a third of the year. So, again, removing the bottleneck from the top of the bottle, <laughs> um, I, I was able to, to, to practice what I preach to my clients is to, to empower to, mm-hmm. to in the right seats, on the bus, going in the right direction, so I wasn't needed. And I freed up time, and I found that I really did enjoy working with young entrepreneurs or, or struggling entrepreneurs to help them get to where they wanted to go. And that, you know, while, while I certainly would, would never um, profess to have all the answers, I find that sometimes I learn more from them than I'm able to teach them just with their, their enthusiasm and their, their naivete at times and their just willingness <laughs> to jump out of the plane without a parachute. Yes, sometimes that naivete of not realizing that what you're about to do really shouldn't work actually can play in your favor. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's like the bad movie scene right? where, you know, well, we it, we, we think this is going to, you know, it probably won't work, but it's the only idea we've got. Well, that's happening a lot. <laughs> you know, with the country being at full employment and entrepreneurship yeah. going strong, there's opportunities out there. And, you know, I remember being the entrepreneur alone and entrepreneur at risk. And, and it, when I hired my first coach, being so thankful. Yeah. And now, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to share some of my stories uh, listen to, to help others achieve what they want to achieve because at the end of the day, we're not here forever. And if we can leave that positive legacy with their community, with people in the, in the business space to help them build out a company, create jobs for people, and those, those jobs that help families, I mean, it's, it's all good karma. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is really so much opportunity out there. It's something that anybody really can take their idea and their skills and go build something amazing with it if they're willing to take the risk. Well, the ch- and, I to, and I just actually just gave a speech on this the other day, and it comes down to, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, do you mm-hmm. want to build a company that requires yeah. a certain set of skill set and risk, or do you simply want to build yourself a job? There's a need in the marketplace for both. You can That's do true. one or the other. That's mm-hmm. fine. One, you know, you could go from being a solopreneur to a, a business owner yeah. over the course of time, but they are different skill sets. And, you know, like you talked about going from yeah. – Using a coach at Diversified to being a coach at Extraordinary mm-hmm. Advisors, those are, while the skill sets are similar, there is a difference to that. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing that, how, again, how much I learned by coaching, mm-hmm. and I can bring back to the Diversified companies, but still how much I learned from my coaches. Now, I've got two coaches I use right now for different mm-hmm. parts of my life, and how much I learned from them. So 
for me, if you if you're willing to be a lifelong learner and you're willing to go up into the world, be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable, people will help you. And yeah. that's one of the things I love about coaching is just being with those type of entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And you know, that's that's a really important distinction for people to realize there are different ways to go into your own business. One of them is you're a consultant or you're a service provider who bills hourly for X services. The other is building that company to really scale and to grow to the point that you're not the one constantly delivering the hourly exchange for things. And I think this is something that I really started out with just that this is how much I make per hour. Here's the services I can provide. And you know, that was like 18 years ago. And now it's let me see what can I build. Let's build a software app that solves problem X. Let's go out and sell it. And it's a totally different place to be in your business. One of the most freeing things a coach ever helped me with was going over the business model canvas and having me define as a company, not as a person, what do we do and what do we not do? Right. And that was incredibly freeing to me to realize I didn't have to say yes to some of the things that I thought I did. It helped me kind of shift my mindset around that. So I would love to know what are a few of those moments that you've had with clients where they've realized, oh, okay, what Todd is telling me means I I can do this differently. Oh, for sure. So I had a client one time, they they were a manufacturer. Uh And they were in a very defined niche. And they thought the best way for them to grow and scale their business was to expand their niche and go from being Mm -hmm. a a boutique offering to being more of a a big box provider of their products into a a Walmart or or a larger Mm -hmm. provider like that. But they also recognized that they wanted to improve their margins. Mm. And they thought, well, like most entrepreneurs, well, I'll just sell my way out of my challenges. And we took a look at their model, and we took a look at how they were doing things. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, you're the, you're the leader in your space, but your space is very narrow. But have you drilled as deep as you possibly can? Can you go deeper in your vertical, not wider across a different path? Mm. So they hadn't really thought about it. They just saw one path. They said, well, we should be in the big box retailer. And what they ended up doing was – they created. A, they were just doing basically direct ship to to small retailers in a very. Huh. What they did is they went actually onto an online couple of online platforms, Amazon and others, and they started offering their products direct to consumer and bypassing mm-hmm. the retailer, and they exploded. They went from about seven hundred thousand dollars to over a million dollars in revenue, and when you take into consideration that only four point three percent of all companies in America reach a million in revenue, they were in some pretty rarefied air. And, and they were able to work the schedule they wanted to work. They were able to add to their team, but they were also able to, to get out from being just an employee owner to being more working on the business, not in the business, which gave them a huge sense of reward they wanted. And I guess the other example I'd have is so many, so many people are focused on just revenue. Yeah. Don't recognize that they always think, well, if I just get enough revenue, I'll make enough money. And I was just working with somebody else actually just a couple weeks ago. And we were able, within a two-hour conversation, move their margin four points. Wow. On the revenue that they had. So they were able to immediately drop money right to the bottom line that goes into the owner's pockets, mm-hmm. goes off to pay debt, take care of you know investors, help, help with other shareholders. And they were just, again, seeing the tree and not the forest and the path through yeah. the forest. So now they're on a completely different growth trajectory. They're gonna, they'll probably exceed over four million dollars within two years just by making a couple of small adjustments. And as a coach, I'm so excited for them. Just that, oh, yeah. that word to, to free up that that energy and to free up that that 
a, a, more of a sense of abundance versus a, a sense of scarcity. Yeah, and it's it's surprising sometimes the tiny changes that can really shift that for people. I think that's one of the biggest things I've gotten out of working with coaches is they come in with that different viewpoint. They can kind of see everything from up here and go, just move these two little pieces, yep. and you're like, oh. You know, you hear that choir of angels singing and go, there's my solution. Because we do tend to focus on, okay, I see, I can go into big box retail, let me scale that way, and not recognizing all the other potential opportunities that are there to maybe do it a different way. It helps so much to have somebody from the outside look at it, especially somebody with experience who's maybe been down a few of those different paths to go, well, have you considered right. uh, different exactly. options? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, such a rewarding thing. You know, one of the biggest challenges most entrepreneurs run into is they just – don't have a lot of experience with cash. And, and, you know, there's those four pillars of business. You've got cash, strategy, execution, and your staff. Mm -hmm. But the overriding umbrella of those four pillars are the people that make those decisions in those areas. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, I know that with our business, for example, you know, we were $600,000 in debt at one point because we kept extending payment terms to customers that didn't deserve Uh, it. We didn't know what we didn't know. We were following industry standard terms. And in staffing space back in the mid-2000s, 90-day payment terms were, were a given. Well, we, wow. once we, we reduced our payment terms to, you know, 7 to 14 days, mm-hmm. we immediately did better, but we had to do better as well. So it challenged us to service better, provide better, mm-hmm. but also to recognize that we're not, we're not in the banking industry. We're in the staffing space. We should, you know, when do clients pay their employees, either weekly or biweekly? Yeah. Why not pay us in the same spot? Because we have the same employees that are working right alongside your employees that need to be paid. Right. And, you know, we're not an interest-free loan, but mm-hmm. so, it, it's so frustrating, and especially in the staffing space, that so many people are still treating their business as, well, I do $20 million in staffing, but I only make 3% to the bottom line. Well, they're not, ri- not doing so well, but you take a look at some of the, you know, national yeah. players that are publicly held, they're making 1% to 2% to the bottom line. They set the tone, and they're just... Mm. Penny wise and pound foolish. So that that's a question. When you look at whatever industry you're in, what's going on kind of around you, how do you figure out and evaluate, okay, this is something that, that maybe we can do better or we can do differently than everybody else we see? Well, you know, I take basically I take a six step approach to that and then mm-hmm. a diagnostic portion. And I always start with a cash review and a financial review. Where are you at? Where are you going? And where, where do you measure up against mm-hmm. other players in your space? Uh-huh. And where, where are people, you know, who do what you do? What are their margins? Mm-hmm. There's always a publicly held company or someone who's willing to share with through an association. Where you stand? Then we do a human capital review. Do you have the right people in the right seats going in the right direction? Mm-hmm. And often just by looking at the cash and looking at the people, we, we uncover yeah. – so much. And then, you know, are you in the right space? Do you have the right verticals? Do you have the right client? Who is your ideal client? Do you even know who your ideal client is? An ideal client isn't always somebody who just says, yes, I'll write you a check. Uh, right. So we really go and we look at other portions of the business. Are, are your, are your, you know, are your receivables on a proper turn? Mm-hmm. Are you getting cash? Are you bankable? Are you, and then, you know, at the end of the day, are you adding shareholder value? Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, if you own your company and you're the only shareholder, are, right. are, are your decisions adding to your, to your value? Even if it's, well, you know, I know in a year I'm going to get, I'll, I'll earn more money and I'm willing to do the R&D portion in the investment. That's great. What's your strategy? What's your plan? So many entrepreneurs are so addicted to the word yes. Yeah. Yes, I'll hire you. Yes, I'll work with you. Yes, all this. Yes, all that. But they neglect sometimes as, by the way, yes, when will I get paid? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so important to realize it's not just about getting the yes or saying yes. It's about the yes being right for both sides. Just like when it comes to, you mentioned staffing and sending a candidate in for an interview. It's got to be a great fit for both sides. Same thing with the people we sell to. It's got to be a great fit for both sides. I was having a conversation the other day, and the person told me they just got off a sales call, and they were, you could tell, you could just see it. They were like on cloud nine, so excited about this new client they had just signed a, a very large deal with, and they, they said, you know, the other sales calls I've been having lately, I started to think I sucked at sales because they were going so badly. But I realized I was talking to the wrong people. And it's such an important thing to really know who is your ideal client. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, think about the space that you're in, in the podcast world. Not everybody's going to listen to your podcast. You want the right listeners listening to the right message on the, at the right time. that's going to fit their need. And you can get, you can have a great life and a great living and a great business serving a very small subsection yeah. of, of any marketplace. You don't have to be all things to all people. We already have a lot of businesses that do that. And then you, you know, but if you're really good at what you can be one of those disruptors who can shake it up a little bit and really, at the end of the day, I, I, you know, and I work with my clients on this, you want to be focused on the margin, not on the revenue. Certainly the revenue is going to be the margin, but you, gotta, you, you don't work for free. Yeah. And well, I understand there's so many people in, in spaces that do the lost leaders. I get that to a certain point, but you can't, you can't make a career out of it. Yeah. Now, I am not Walmart, and I've got to remember, we, we all have to remember when we're not in that position, don't approach your business that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so often we look at, well, what do we see working for the huge corporations or for person X, and we try to apply it and then feel like a failure because it didn't work. Well, we're not them. We have a different business model, a different approach. Uh, I, I love the emphasis that you have on really looking at what are your numbers because that's another thing I find entrepreneurs tend to avoid sometimes really digging into those numbers and facing the reality because they feel like more sales, more cash flow will fix it. When sure. really, if those margins aren't there, if you don't have the right combinations in place, you're just going to dig yourself a deeper hole. Well, I look at a lot of P&Ls, and it's interesting yeah. to take a look at days outstanding. What are your days outstanding on your oh. turn on cash? And so many people don't recognize that, yeah. um, you know, I'm making good money, but if I just got paid a week or two quicker, mm-hmm. my, my fees to my bank would be smaller, or these things, or if yeah. I have more cash, I can, I can invest better, or I can make different purchases. You know, and yeah. as we go towards, I mean, the economy's not going to be at record numbers forever. So as we go towards a potential recession, the person who has the most cash will, will survive it best right. versus the person who's so leveraged that when they need cash, they're going to have to sell assets at a reduced value to the person right. who has cash. That's how it goes. And, you know, when you, when you look at your numbers and you look at wh- where are your expenses at, we just did this analysis for Diversify this morning of all times, and we took a look at all of our, you know, where, where are, where's our revenue? Where is our margin? And where are our cost increases? And we had some sizable cost increases that we have to go back and figure mm. out what we're going to do differently. It's got to be done. You know, the, 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 the value's not there. Mm-hmm. Which is going to require different decisions and different vendor conversations, different employee conversations. And those are all fine to have because it's just business. It's not personal. Um, but as the owners, we have to make sure that you know, we're watching all the gauges on the plane so we don't crash into the mountain. Yeah, that's that's an important thing to avoid crashing into the mountain. I don't I don't think that's good for anybody. No, it it really isn't. It really really isn't. All right. So for for people who are listening right now, and you know wherever they're at in their business, what are one or two things that you would like to leave them with as ways they can avoid crashing their plane into a mountain, so to speak? 
for sure. Well, I, you know, I think if we're going to take the theme of the show here, and if you give a damn about your business, then you should give a damn about some of these areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've talked it kind of, kind of to a, a little bit of a point, but certainly margin, margin over revenue. Mm-hmm. You want to make a, a proper margin for what you provide. Don't work for free. Uh, be careful of the client that says to me, well, you know, we just want to try out, so we need you to give it, to give it to your, yes, your service or your product at a discount, and then maybe we'll come back. They don't come back. It's just, it's just a misnomer. Um, mm-hmm. Secondarily, you, you want to know, you know, do you have, are you in the right space? Are you doing the things that, that nurture and satisfy you as the entrepreneur? One of my favorite mm-hmm. offers is Simon Sinek, The Power of Why. Why do you do what you do and how do you do it? And he has such a great analogy over mm-hmm. Steve, about Steve Jobs and Apple and how they do what they do. And, oh, by the way, they provide it to you through a computer. Mm. Why we do what we do and what makes us special, cool, and unique. That's why people are going to resonate with you. That's why they're going to buy from you. The reality is people make buying decisions on emotion and they try to justify it with logic. Yeah. So many people try to sell on logic. People just, we're going to buy from people we, we trust. Yeah. that human connection. Right. Um, and I think at the, at the end of the day, decide, do you want to build a business or do you want to build a job? Mm. There's a need for both. Solopreneurs are a big part of our, our gig economy nowadays. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. But if you want to build, if you want to build a company, recognize that there are going to be certain disciplines you're going to need. Yeah. And the pro, you know, there's such a, a rigid discipline to growing a mm-hmm. business that so many entrepreneurs have to then kind of stifle their um, <laughs> their their enthusiastic dream chaser. But there is a mm-hmm. certain, you know, and if you're if you're going to be the dream chaser in your organization, that's great. Nothing wrong with it. Make sure you have that right hand person who's going to be that that anchor to your balloon to keep you on the ground. That's fantastic advice. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Well, and I appreciate so much you coming on today to talk for a few minutes here. I've just got one last question for you that I ask everybody, which is, what is your favorite part of what you do in business? You know, um, that's a great question, and I thought a lot about that, actually, as I'm you know, working in both worlds with Diversified and with Extraordinary Advisors. And I think for me, the thing I love the most takes me back to when I was a parent. Um, my son's now 27, so we don't have as many moments as we once did. But I call them the light bulb moments. It's when you're working with when I'm working with an employee and they get it that, that light bulb goes off. Or I was just on stage in Texas and I was telling some some stories and talking about entrepreneurship and a couple people in the audience you could just see oh my gosh. Or, they see, or you're working with a client and then you move their margin four percent in mm. two hours or they've been struggling with it for two years. Those those aha moments. That's the reason. That's the that's the essence of what makes everything I do fun because it goes to my core value that I learned through Simon Sinek of improving lives and those light bulb moments improve lives. Mm, Love that. All right. For everybody listening, you can connect with Todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com. I encourage you to go take a look at his site, especially his blog. He's got some fantastic posts on there that you'll find dive deeper into some of what we've been talking about here and some other ideas if you're looking for a job or looking to grow your business. Either one, you will want to go check out what he's up to, check out his book, and uh, connect with him. Todd, thanks again so much for coming on. Thank you so very much. And I would say anybody who goes to the site and mentions that I was on your podcast, again, to that point of improving lives and light bulb moments, I'm happy to give an hour of my time for free. Just fill in the application. Kelly, my booking person, will get you on my calendar. And that's really my way of paying it forward and and thanking, thanking you guys for listening today. 
Awesome. I appreciate that. I'll make sure we have that in the show notes and note who's a great fit for you so they can uh, get in touch. Well, have a fantastic rest of your day. You do the same. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Be sure you hit subscribe, like, rate, and review this show wherever you are watching. And I will see you back on the next episode.